This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 583, and the quote of the day is, there's no reason to have a plan B because it'll distract you from plan A. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Rafini here, episode 583, and I got a great conversation today with my man, Ralph Roll, and Ralph is the drummer for Niles Rogers and Cheek, and we have so many things in common that once we start talking, we realize he owns a restaurant. I grew up in the restaurant business and used to own my own restaurant. He had a brother that was six years older than him that got him into a bunch of stuff. I had the same thing. He was into roller skating. I was into roller skating. We have a lot of the same views on success and hard work and and learning from your elders and learning music and being in the trenches and all that. So we share a lot of commonalities, but Ralph has a way of saying it that is much more eloquent than, than I normally say. So I'm super excited to get a guy with his resume on the podcast. Podcast. I mean, not only does he play with Nile Rogers and Chic, but he was the house drummer for Apollo. He worked with D'Angelo. He's worked with a long list of celebrities and amazing musicians. And he's just a, a purebred, hardworking drummer and has had the career to show for it as well. So I'm super excited. It took us a long time to line this up. We were sort of going back and forth and we finally made it happen. So Also, one quick thing, we mentioned in the beginning of this that he had a bad day in the restaurant business, and what happened was uh, the window in his restaurant was broken about 25 minutes before we had this conversation. So two things. One, that's what we were talking about when he mentions it, and two... He was planning on doing this interview at home, and we he actually ended up doing it at his restaurant, so there's some noise going on in the background and things like that. So in case you're wondering what's going on, that's what's, that's what's happening, so he's doing it. That's the kind of guy he is. He's a hard worker, and he's like, you know what? I said I'm going to do this interview. I'm still going to do it. I, my conditions have changed a little bit. I have to do it at the restaurant, but I'm still going to do it. So he's a man of his word, and I appreciate that. And I'm not going to waste any more time talking. Let's get into it with the man, Ralph Roll. Ralph, what's happening, man? Thanks so much for being here. Oh, I'm glad to be here, buddy. Thank you, Nick. I, uh, you're welcome. I appreciate you being here. And we were just sort of uh, talking a little bit about, you know, the restaurant business. And I, you know, I come from the restaurant business. Uh, you're in the restaurant business, and the it's not all as glad. It's you know what the restaurant business is much like the music industry. It's not all glitz and glamour like everyone thinks it is, right? It's not as amazing as people think. And and today you have one of those days of just like. Man, crappy day in the restaurant business. Yeah, today was not that that day. I was actually one particular day. I was online with a guy who uh, was an attorney, but he also owned a restaurant. And he said something to me that I wish he had never said. He said, so you got to ask yourself, do you own a restaurant or does the restaurant own you? Yep. And I, I swear I wish he would have never said that because it was like, Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> a, <laughs> but you know it is exciting it, it's it's hard work it's the hardest work i've ever done but i'm used mm-hmm. to working on but i i am um, we're, we're making uh we're making some headway it's been nice. tough this this crazy year has been tough but we're making some headway yeah i think the interesting thing is people always associate 
restaurants with being out with their friends, having, you know, having some drinks, breaking bread, all this stuff. And I always tell people, I'm like, look, if you own the restaurant, you're, that's not going to be you. You're not going to be doing that. All your friends are going to be doing that. And you're going to be in the back taking out the trash and, you know, cleaning the dishes. And people are like, yeah. oh, that doesn't sound that, that doesn't sound that fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the early stages uh, are, are tough. You've been in it. You already yeah. know. Yeah. But there, there, there can, there will be a point, hopefully that you can actually step away mm -hmm. and allow the people that you've trained to run things because they, all they have to do is just follow directions at that point and right. be responsible. Exactly. You know, and, and, and you step in, you do your cameo appearance and then you step out is, is what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Yeah. It's possible. I think you'll do it. You're, you're a, uh, you're a smart guy. You're a hard worker. So. <laughs> I look like a freaking dog brother. Yeah, me too. So <laughs> talk to, talk to me about, uh, I know that, I, I listened to some interviews with you and and read some different articles. And growing up, uh, you cite your brother being a big influence on, especially not only on you but also on you playing open handed. And because he was like, you can't switch the drums around. Right, right. How much of how much of that do you think influenced your sound? Uh, because I think it. I think if you play open handed, you have a different sound because you just have more you have different options than someone who doesn't play that way moving around the kit. Yeah. Um, it does allow you, uh, some freedoms, um, as far as what you can do other than hold down a groove. You can, mm -hmm. depending on how abstract of a thinker you are, uh, you can add a whole lot and still be able to, uh, uh, keep a groove like with my left hand i'm i'm over on on the on the drum pad just doing whatever i can think of while holding a groove you know mm -hmm. uh and it's a lot of fun right I, I love doing it because i the first time that i actually saw that was was uh, uh believe it or not dennis chambers mm -hmm. in in 1983 when he was playing with peace funk all stuff uh the, he had a timbali set up on the left side and a splash symbol, and the stuff that that dude was doing, I, it just blew my mind. I felt like Wayne's World. I wasn't worthy. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I'm serious. I just looked at him like, "Yo, I don't know who this guy is." And at, the, at the time, I think Dennis was 19, and wow. I was like 20. Where was this? Was like this was somewhere on tour in in the states. I was with Evelyn Champagne King, and we were opening for P Funk All Star. Gotcha. And Dennis was wearing the kit completely out. <laughs> yeah. And the the great thing about that is that it not only did it inspire my direction on, on how to think and think more more universally about a drum set, but Dennis was the nicest dude in the world. Yeah. I mean, he was yeah, oh my goodness, he was approachable. He actually sent me, okay, I'm dating myself, but he was in of some bands in in the uh, Maryland DC area, mm -hmm. and he sent me he sent me tapes of his local band, and he also sent me a live recording of P Funk All Star that I I think I've played it so much I might have popped it just to <laughs> just to learn that whole technique and right. so he was extremely inspirational um, to me with that just that open hand style mm -hmm. you know so it, it 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 helped a lot you know in in my playing. So I know that you started playing professionally when you were 18. When did you start playing? I started, I was a kid. I was about 10 
when my brother had the drums in the house, about 10 years old. Gotcha. My brother is, yeah, I would say between eight and 10 because my brother's uh, five, six years older than me. Mm-hmm. And um, he, uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I was about eight, 10 years old. And I just would play. I was so influenced by, you know, anything he did anything it didn't matter what he did i just followed everything he did you know yep. being the, being the the male role model in the house mm-hmm. I, I looked up to him for everything and we used to have fun all the time me and my brother well that was going to be my next question was why did did you start playing drums because he did because my brother's six years older than me and like my brother listened to hip-hop i listened to hip-hop my brother started playing drums i started playing drums he skateboarded i skateboarded he liked the flyers i liked the fly like i'm like i don't care what you do like exactly like he likes bananas i like bananas you know like whatever my brother is in his uh late 60s and he still has a full head of hair so when i had hair i used to try to comb it just like (laughs) 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 but he was he was he was fortunate to still keep a full head of hair i i gotta go bald yeah i took after my uncle i guess yeah, I took after my. I'm, I'm losing mine a little bit, and my brother's got a full. We were just talking about it the other day. I'm like, man, I'm like, you still got a full head of hair? He's like, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. So my father had a full head of hair. My uncle didn't. Gotcha. So my uncle Willie. So I think I took after my uncle Willie. Nice. It's. I always think it's. It's. And I don't know how much of this happened with your brother, but I'm guessing that it did. Where I always felt like my music, my music tastes and styles were so much further advanced than all my friends because I had my brother who was like hipping me to new music. He would, you know, I I've talked about this on the podcast before he, when records used to come out at on Tuesdays, we would, he would take me on Monday night. There was a place that opened at 1145 and at midnight you could buy a new record. Right. So I'd be in school the next morning on Tuesday morning with the new record and people like, how did you get that? Like I was going to go out after school to get it. I'm like, man, I got it last night. Uh, so was it the same for you where you felt like you were listening to stuff that maybe your friends weren't listening to or, or like your music styles matured faster than your friends? Um, it's like we're a mirror image because that's exactly what it was. My brother used to have a reel to reel tape and mm-hmm. he would tape songs either off of the, the small uh, record player he had or he would tape something off the radio and splice it together, his favorite songs. So Nice. That's like one, old school mixtapes. Yes, exactly. And what one of one of the hobbies that he had is was music. You know, he loved music, but my brother listened to everything. He listened to jazz. He he listened to uh rock and roll, uh gospel. I mean, he listened to every so just like you, it, it, I just absorbed everything. You know, I thought my thing was if he thought it was cool, then I guess it's cool. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and that's how I, I started to just have a palette for so many different styles of music. Mm-hmm. So my, my brother uh, is now retired, but he was a mechanical engineer. Mm-hmm. And it's, my brother was extremely, it is, he is extremely a brilliant man. Um, as a kid, he was, he got in trouble constantly for, for doing things in the house that he shouldn't be doing. Like one time, he pulled the back of my mother's uh, stereo. You know, it, growing up, you don't touch the, <laughs> your, your mother's stereo, your father's stereo. Right. So he took the, he took the back off and got some wire and put some speakers that he found outside and wired it all the way back to our bedroom. And my mother <laughs> almost had a 
a freaking like aneurysm, man. You know, but he was always <laughs> getting in trouble for for doing some tinkering things, which ended up he he was a really good mechanical engineer. He left New York after he had his second child and started working for DuPont. Oh wow! Uh, and he went from working for DuPont to becoming a supervisor for DuPont to then starting his own uh, firm mm. and left and retired and. He, he did what all retired people do. He moved from from New York to Virginia, then from Virginia to Florida. So he's living down he's living down in Florida right now. But I took four years of mechanical drawing, just following him. Huh. But, but uh, when I got to, um, I was supposed to all ready to go to Pratt Institute, which is mm -hmm. a great engineering school. And in my fourth year, I was in class and I was sitting there, and something hit me like a ton of bricks, man. I looked around and I said, what am I doing here? I can't see myself doing this for the rest of my life. Yeah. And it was like, it was honestly like an epiphany. I mean, I just said, I got to play drums. Drums, is that's who I am. Mm -hmm. I love drums. And I went home and I told my mother, but she wasn't as enthusiastic as <laughs> I was. She actually, I remember her saying to me, I think you just lost your mind. You know, so, but I stuck. I stuck with it. You know, she supported me. She thought I was mm -hmm. crazy, but she supported me. And we couldn't, uh, we couldn't afford lessons. So my, my training at that time, this is around 15, 16 years old. Everybody in the neighborhood had a drum set and I would play everybody's drum set. I knew everybody that had drums. My cousin had drums way out in Queens. I would get on the bus for two hours and go out there. My mm -hmm. boy right across the street, Artie had a nine piece Ludwig. I practically lived in his room, but <laughs> but the biggest influence was uh, a, a guy in my neighborhood who was probably the most talented. His name was Ricky Williams, big guy, about six foot six, uh, mm -hmm. played everything. And he had a Rogers kit, four piece Rogers with a Dynasonic snare and pedal. And I used to just listen to him groove and his groove was better than everybody's groove. And for years, I didn't know why. And then it dawned on me, I think Ricky's groove is better because he's blind. Hmm. And he hears things differently. He places things differently. So I would stand, He would. I was the only person he would actually let watch him practice. Huh. And I would stand behind him and just close my eyes and put my hands on his shoulders just to try to feel what he was feeling. And then sometimes I'd look over his shoulders just to see what how he was grooving. and. He had the best groove. I'm telling you, his groove was crazy. And that's how I learned to groove because my brother sold the drums because his girlfriend got pregnant. Gotcha. And and my mother put him out and she was strict. She mm -hmm. didn't play those games. So he sold the drums to, to get money because he was now basically homeless. Right. Needed to pay and, rent. Yeah. yeah. So, so I just kept playing and, and I worked out a deal with my mom that um if i bought drums would she buy the cymbals and she said i'll do that so right. i started volunteering at a music store just to be around the drums not because i thought i was going to get a drum set but just to get some money right and i was packing bags at the grocery store on the weekend on the, at the grocery store on the weekends um and then i uh in in the the music store's window was a Visa Light, Ludwig Visa Light drum set that someone didn't pick up. 
and the owner sold it to me at cost. Amazing. So I, I didn't know how much it was. It was maybe like 300 before a kid is 15, 16, 17 years old. Money. That's a lot of freaking. That's, that's yeah. like, I might as well just buy a Maserati. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she, she, she did get the, the symbols and I just practiced every single day at that point. Mm -hmm. Everything so, I heard on the radio. So when you, if, if you're like, all right, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to play drums. Uh, like was obviously you have to practice, but what, what did you do to build your career to get gigs? I mean, that's a, it's, there's a lot of pressure when you say, okay, look, this is what I'm going to do as a career. Right? right. And it's like, great. Okay. Sunday, today's Sunday. I'm like, I decide I'm going to do this. What am I going to do tomorrow morning when I wake up? Right. You can't just call um, You can't apply for gigs, right? No. Uh, <laughs> especially back then when there was no social uh, media, or anything like that. So right. it just out of, out of luck. And at the time in the seventies, there were a lot of musicians in my neighborhood. There was a, a, a lot. You know, somebody played something yeah. or there was a singer, but in my building on the first floor was a drummer singer named Wade Taylor. His nickname was Puggy. Everybody mm -hmm. called him Puggy. And um, Puggy heard me playing one day in my room and he called me out the window because I used to hear his band play up when he lived upstairs on like the 12th floor. Right. His band was killing. He had a band called Come, big band. Like like uh like um uh cool the gang big like that, mm -hmm. and they sounded incredible. Uh, but the band broke up. Uh, Puggy was out doing his own thing, and he heard me playing, and he called me out the window. He said, "Man, you sounded good up there on the drums, man." Had a real thick southern accent, almost like James Brown. So you had to kind of <laughs> figure out what he was saying right. half the time. <laughs> he an interpreter with him. Right? Yeah, 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 man. You got a good up there on your drum, and you're playing good. <laughs> And I go, yeah. No. <laughs> so uh, you're like, was that? A, I don't know if that was a compliment or not. <laughs> or shut up. Right? Yeah, shut up. <laughs> so uh, he um he said to me, uh, "There's an audition for my for a group, that, and we're about to go on the road. I, I want you to come down." And I was like, "Yeah, but you got to ask my mother." Right. How old I were kid, you? I, I was uh, 18, 17. Yeah. 18. And it's 18. And he came upstairs and he asked my mother. Now, the only reason why my mother let him take me down to this audition was because she knew who he was. She knew, you know, that he was a good guy, but she didn't, what she didn't know, and I've never divulged this, he was the biggest weed seller in the neighborhood. <laughs> I've never said that before. I and you're like, we'll just I've, leave that out. <laughs> I've left it out of every interview but this one. Nice. Um, <laughs> but um, he took me down. The group was called Music, mm. and they had a hit song, disco song called Push, Push in the Bush. <laughs> push, push in the bush. It was right around the same time as Nile and Sheik was out. Right. A guy named Patrick uh, Patrick Adams uh, produced it. And I got the gig. Their drummer had left to do something else. A guy named Tyrone Govain, he left to do something else. And uh, 
getting a tour of Mexico for three weeks. So first time with a passport, first time on a plane, first time with a with a professional gig, a lot of firsts. And uh, from that point, when I came home, um, I actually went back to drum corps for, for a while. I came back mm-hmm. and went right back into the drum corps scene. But I was looking for gigs, and then I got into a local band with this guy named Leroy Evans, and then I ended up in the band with Ricky Williams, which was, that was the big, uh, the big change, because now Ricky's actually helping me through a lot right. of my playing. That's how I learned what the word the packet was. Through, mm-hmm. through. I didn't know what it meant. Right. Uh, you know, I, I, in school, in high school, it was, okay, we're going from the first ending to the second ending, then we're going to take the coda. And that, so it was all musical terms, but it wasn't street terms like like take it to the bridge, yeah. coda. I mean, take it to the bridge. You know, uh, we're going out from here. You know, all of the hand signs that I didn't know. Right. You know, keep it in the pocket. Right. Break you know, it down. <laughs> like break it down. Pea soup. All of yeah. I didn't know any of that. So I learned, you know, on the job training. Mm-hmm. doing some gigs with Ricky and then uh, people started calling me for different different things, you know, which that's how I got started. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Right. What, how, how do you suggest that people do it now? Because now the, it's a total, it's a different game, you know, it's, it's well, I, I, I think it is a totally different game. I think you're hundred percent right. But I also think the game has changed for the better because what I what I had to do locally, you can now do internationally, mm-hmm. and just and just you know just put up your your phone and start a YouTube channel, Instagram or Facebook, and and connect it to different people. And before you know it, people are seeing you all over the place. And it all depends on your ability mm-hmm. uh, at that point to um to you know to be able to do the gig, right? You know so. Right. I, I mean, I came up under some real hard, hard dudes that my eyes were always wide open and always listening and always ready to learn all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's the only part that's missing. Like you got this big, big height of social media, but then you have this big low of not learning in the trenches because most of the places that we used to play are gone. So yeah. most of the musicians right now uh most of the guys are coming out of church, mm-hmm. you know, which I think there's a there's a missing link in a lot of ways to some of the the the, the formidable training, yeah, because of that. How do you think that people can get that on the job training? Because I mean, even you know, I'm I'm a little bit younger than you, but like when I came up, you could gig Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know, yeah, like you, yeah. and that was. You know, you could gig four or five days a week. And I always say the best way to get better at playing live is playing live. So, and you got to learn and fall on your face and, and get yelled at by the senior, you know, members of the band and, and get all the constructive feedback. Sometimes it's, it's, it's uh sugar coated and sometimes it's uh really brutal and rough. And, uh, but that make that's how you grow. But if, if you're playing once a month at a coffee shop, you know, with a singer songwriter or something like that. I just don't feel like you're going to get that sort of, that sort of on the job training. Well, you're absolutely right. And um, I don't mean to paint a negative picture. I'm more of like, okay, this is an issue. How do we figure out this Rubik's cube and, and well, keep moving? Well, is What you just said is 100% true. You know, I mean, there's outlets uh, 
but those some of those outlets are tough. Like I would recommend if if you need to play, you might want to audition for a wedding band. And I mean that in all seriousness. Mm-hmm. You know, get out there and learn learn different people's songs. You know, don't think you're gonna come out the gate, you know, as soon as you get your driver's license driving a Maserati. It's right. not that doesn't happen for everybody. Some people, yes, but the majority no. And if you want to uh, be a working musician, a working drummer, um, be able to pay your rent, pay your phone bill, you know, save money for a house, you can be uh, a a drummer that does all kind of stuff without thinking you need to have, you know, I call it Cadillac syndrome. You don't need that. You just have to get out there and just chop it up with as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. But also, there's some there's a couple of there's one app that I found of these these Japanese developers that I got involved with. And they have this app called Session Tracks that I thought was freaking amazing. It's 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 this app where you have uh eight tracks of music, different musician different uh instruments that you can plug yourself into no matter what you play and play along with actually live musicians. It's cool. not it's not the perfect situation, but it's a situation right. that's a lot better than just not playing with with, with live folks. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's the closest I've seen is session tracks, and that's why I got involved because I thought it would be very powerful moving forward for any musician, any singer, because all you do is you pull up a song, pull the instrument out that that's recorded, and plug yourself in. That's cool. With some headphones and, and be able to play with a click. Nice. Yeah, it's called nice. Session Track. Very cool. I really, yeah, I really I'm like have to it. Check it out. Yeah, it needs. To, it, there's some development things that they still need to do, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it's a very, uh, very good app. Cool. You know? And it, and also, I heard Berkeley was working on something pretty similar too. Nice. Yeah. There was something that you said that I think is really important that we need to that we need to uh, emphasize about you know joining a wedding band right I don't know why but wedding bands get a bad rap but like where else are you going to go where you're going to have to learn 40 50 songs all different styles you're going to learn blues you're going to learn ballads you're going to learn rock and disco and funk and all this other stuff right so it, it definitely it uh, it expands your vocabulary for sure but I remember having a conversation with Ndugu Chancellor, God rest his soul, and he was talking about, you know, back in the day, though, even like he's like, yeah, we would go into the session and do something for Michael Jackson, but then I would go play a wedding and I would go play a cocktail party and do what they called casuals and everything. And now I, I like how what you call it, like Cadillac syndrome. I think that people are only like, I want this high profile gig in a tour bus you know, flying private jets. And like, other than that, uh, like my ego gets in the way and I'm, I'm like any of those other gigs are beneath me. I think that's a problem. Uh, it is a huge problem. And I'm, I'm telling you, I supported my family in the midst of like a, a down period when I'm not on tour by calling up my, my people and saying, listen, I'm home and they'll fill me a gig. You know, so I respect Google for, 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 you know, saying that because, like I said, there's some people who never have to do it, but there's some people who do. Right. And it all depends. It all depends on your on your your economic makeup mm-hmm. that, that, you know, that you would go out there and say, listen, I'm not too proud to go out here and do this, this side job. And I can tell you, I can run off 100 names of some of the top guys that do weddings. 
yeah. that I've done weddings with them. Yeah. You know, or work, I'm, I'm, or I'm work just, at regular jobs on the side. Right. Exactly. But but the, the, the point is, and I tell this, I say this in my master classes, if, if you are a weekend warrior and you're out there playing your drums and you're supporting your family, you be happy that you're actually getting a chance to get out and play your drums. Right. Don't let your ego get in the way of that uh, that great night. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some guys who um, they 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 like you said, you said it perfectly. Their egos really damage their forward motion. There was one guy that yeah, I'm going to leave him nameless, but when I was working at the Apollo Theater, for example, this is one of some from the younger generation. All the guys used to come. Sometimes there would be eight drummers just hanging out, and I, I used to get away with it because I was fortunate to have the gig at the Apollo Theater. Right. That is that is a gig. Right. That is um, a gig. I want to talk about that because I'm sure you've seen right, we amazing were, things go down oh, at the Apollo Theater. So the drummers would come, and no one would bother me because they know that it was a teachable moment on so many levels to have these young people in in this um, major building. You know, uh, and one guy, we went out, we would go after sound check, we would go across the street to the soul food restaurant. I was in the upstairs on the second floor at the church, and we would sit around, you know, buying uh, lunch and we talk. And my, my guy, Harry Vaughn, who's an amazing drummer who landed one of the best jobs of, of, for a drummer in New York City, right out the box. He's been on this job for, for over two decades now. Um, what's it? Who, he was, what's the uh, he works, he, he, there's a big church called Times Square Church. Mm-hmm. And he's been the drummer there. Now, the reason why I say it's like the, the Kush gig, because not only does he get to play and get, he has an amazing salary, he gets vacation time with pay. Nice. He has health, pension, welfare, <laughs> all of that right out the box. It's like getting a television he, show gig. <laughs> And he has a full studio that he can record anytime he wants. And he said to me one day after no touring, (laughs) you have to go on the road. (laughs) And I'm like, dude, I don't know if I love you, I hate you, but you got the best (laughs) you can tell. So one day, uh, this is early on when he first started. He was, if I had any broken symbols or anything, he was sending back to Zildjian. Mm -hmm. Uh, So one of the young men that was sitting there it was girls and guys but one of the young one guys that was young guys that was sitting there he overheard us talking and i'm paying it no mind all right mm-hmm. about uh, two weeks later he asked me to go this guy asked me to go see him at his gig down at this this club on 30th street between 7th and 8th it's a little spot on the first floor i don't think it's there anymore but i'm like of course i'll come down and support you the day of his gig, I get a phone call from Joe Testa at mm-hmm. Yamaha. And oh, Joe yeah, that, like, was hey, that was before he went to Zildjian. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Joe's like, hey, Ralph, how you doing? I said, I'm doing good. He said, let me ask you a question. He said, um, did you order a custom sneer? And I'm like, Joe, what are you talking about? Stop playing. Because Joe, was he's a jokester. Right. So I'm thinking he's, he's playing around. So I said, no, what are you talking about? I said, stop playing. He said, no, seriously. Did you call? and order a custom sneer. And I said, no, I did not. And he said, well, someone called and ordered a custom sneer and said it was you. And I'm, 
Yeah. So now I'm like, I'm driving, I pull over and I'm going, I actually pulled over in front of Harry's house. That's where I pulled over from. So he's, he's about to come down and Joe and I are talking on the phone and he said, and we have his number. So he said the guy's number. All he said was the first, he said the area code and the first three numbers and I finished it. <laughs> and I said, all I could say was get the F out of here. He said, yeah, he called. I said, are you kidding me? And and now Harry is listening to the conversation and he's laughing his brains out. <laughs> and I'm getting mad because he's laughing. Right. I'm getting mad like, this is not funny, dude. Not now. <laughs> right. So uh, I said, hold on a second, Joe. And I put the guy on three-way with Joe. And I he, he, he picks up, hey, Ralph, how you doing? You coming to my gig tonight? Uh, he says, I say, yeah. Then he says, um, no, let me, let me start that again. So I call him up. Hey man, you calling my gig? I said, yeah. I said, let me ask you a question. I said, why would you want me to come to your gig when you're actually trying to steal from me? He said, and he, he, he gets real quiet. And I said, you called Yamaha to try to order a custom snare. And that's actually identity theft. And Yamaha wants to press charges on you. I said, right, Joe? And he said, yep. Because he didn't know Joe was on the phone. So after we hung up the phone, Harry's still laughing. I'm not happy, but Harry goes, hey, yo, I think you might want to call Zildjian too. <laughs> this dude ordered a full set of symbols. What? So, yes. Yes. So I, I said all of that to say this. Off the back of what you said, some of these young guys out here are more caught up on the glitz and the glamour than the guts of what it, it takes mm -hmm. to actually be out here. They wanna they wanna profile before you learn fundamentals. Right. You know, and that's exactly what we're talking about. What 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 he did shot himself in the foot really, really bad. Yeah. Because no one, after the word, the word got out so fast, oh my goodness, what he did, nobody would work with him. I don't even know what he's doing now. I haven't seen him since. Wow. I haven't seen this guy. Wow. But what young drummers need to understand is that you need to get down in the trenches, ask a lot of questions, get on these gigs, learn different styles, you know, and, and that will take you a long, a long way to mm -hmm. be able to somebody say, you know, can you play, uh, can you play jazz? Can you, can you just, you know, swing, you know, and you have the fundamentals to be able to swing or, or do you know some standards, you know, and you say, yeah, I know, I know this song. And if you don't, you know, then you're kind of, do you know how to tune a drum set? Right. You know, those fundamentals, but again, Instead of me complaining about it, that's why I started teaching even more, you know, vigorously than I had ever, because I felt like it was my fault. I felt like it was my responsibility to give the message back to these folks to go, okay, here's what you need to be doing, and this is how you need to do it. Right, right. Yeah. It's interesting saying, you know, talking about learning different styles, learning different songs, because as at the at the core of it, and it sounds almost foolish to say, but when you step on stage, what are you playing? You're playing songs. You're playing music. Yeah. 
And if you don't, if you don't know songs and you don't know music, what do you, I, it, it reminds me of Ralph Peterson was on the podcast and he said one of the, the most, one of one of my favorite things that anyone's ever said on the podcast, he said, the more music, you know, the more music you can play. And if you don't know music as a drummer, then your playing is reduced to velocity and mathematics. And I was like, I was just blown away by it. Right. So like, but, but if you don't have that repertoire and you don't know, you don't understand styles, you don't understand music, you know, and I'm not trying to sound like some curmudgeon old guy, but like, then what are you playing when you walk on stage? Dude. Okay. So here's, here's the, uh, here's the thing. I can tell you right now that for many years, you were the youngest guy in the band. Oh yeah. For many. Oh, I, I know it. I can hear yeah. it. I can hear the seasoning. I can hear the discipline. I can hear the fact that when older guys were talking to you, when older girls were talking to you, you were all ears. And mm-hmm. that's the important thing. These guys out here, some guys, let me put it that way, would do themselves a better service if they would pay attention to these lessons. Mm-hmm. And I, I know for a fact the ones that I took under my wing to teach and taught them these lessons, I'm proud to say that they are working drummers. The majority of them nice. are working drummers because they, like you, they paid attention. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they realized that this is, I'm talking to someone who's been out here in the trenches on all levels. I need to listen to what the hell they're trying to tell me. Yeah. You know, one, one particular person, I, I, again, I, I can't divulge. But I was watching uh, a contemporary jazz gig. I was on the show, but I was watching my friend, who is the headliner from backstage. And he's he's an absolute nut. But what disturbed me to the highest degree is that he's a balladeer and a beautiful singer. Mm -hmm. And I would put him in the same category as Luther Vandross. But his drummer, his drum set was tuned like he was playing behind a choir. And he was hitting the drums like he was playing around it. And it was driving me absolutely. I wanted to go like the scene in, in, uh, in Back to the Future where he pushes him <laughs> off the, the piano. And that, I, I felt like that. I just wanted to push him off the drums and go, dynamics, doing the drums right. What the hell are you doing? Stop it. You're killing the song. Is what the problem is. Exactly what Mr. Peterson said. Your repertoire is important. One thing that I do is... I have humbled myself to every single song that I play because it's bigger than me. Mm-hmm. The song is bigger than me. I ask the song all the time, okay, what do you need from me? Not what am I going to do for you? No, what do you need from me? What kind of sound am I trying to uh, uh, give to this particular song? Every song. Right. It's very important. Yeah. Yep. It's one thing to talk about how great dream symbols are, but it's another thing to actually hear them for yourselves. And the good thing about dream is not only do they sound great, but they're also priced well below the competitor's prices. So that way you can actually afford to buy these symbols. And if you don't think you can get a great sounding symbol at a low price, check out dreamsymbols.com. But first, I want you to take a listen to what these things sound like. To learn more about dream symbols, be sure to check them out at dreamsymbols.com. Do you know why when you tune a drum, you're supposed to go diagonal across the drum? 
That's because your drum is flawed. I hate to break it to you, but your drum is flawed because of the way that the edge is. The typical edge doesn't allow the drum head to sit on it properly. So when you tighten down one lug, it causes the drum head to shift and pop up on the other side. That's why you have to tune it diagonally. But now with the new Sonicleer edge from Mapex, that's a thing of the past. The Sonicleer edge allows the head to sit flush. So it promotes ease of tuning, increased shell resonance, and optimal tonal clarity. So you're going to have to do a lot less work and get a lot greater sound. To learn more about the Sonicleer edge, go to mapexdrums.com. A lot of times when I have these conversations, it's the same deal like, oh, I, I was playing with people who were older than me or I was getting advice from people who are older older than me. And But the, the thing that is important, and I, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm guessing this is the case, is because you sought those relationships out. You wanted to find older people to play with because you knew that you could learn from them. I know that that was the case for me. I was like, it's great playing with people my age, but like I want to play with people who are 10, 15, 20 years older than me because they have more experience and that's a fast track to learning. Well, for me, it just happened that way. Like all of the gigs that I started getting um, were with just older people. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was, I didn't plan, I honestly didn't plan it. I tried to start a band with all of my friends, it didn't work out well. <laughs> right. Uh, so I kind of started doing, you know, I, I, I started doing my own thing, not because I didn't love my friends because most of us are still very close. It's just my, my aspirations changed Mm -hmm. and, and with the aspirations, I had to actually start, you know, running with a different pack and a different kind of thinking, or I don't know where I would have been. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of running with a different pack, how did you get how did you get the Apollo gig? Oh, that's that. that's an amazing gig. First of all, I want to send a shout out to the great, great, great Buddy Williams, uh, who is someone that I've admired for decades, and I, the way how I met him is crazy. But um, Buddy was the drummer at the Apollo Theater, and Buddy has always been one of the most in-demand drummers in New York City, Mm -hmm. hands down. You know, I would turn over records and every record had his name on it. Right. To the point where I started going, who in the hell is Buddy Williams? Right. It was was him, um, Gad, uh, Purdy, and a guy named, I can't remember, Alan Schwartzberg, is that his name? Alan Schwartzberg. Yeah. I think that's his name. He was, I think it is. I, I think, yeah. I'm. I'm going to look it up. I probably, but, probably but those, should be, but yeah. Those, those guys were the ones on every single. Let me see if I can sports page. Uh, anyway, but but um, that's how I ended up getting the the the, uh, the gig at the Apollo because Buddy was doing something else, and. Um, the call came from um, Ray Chu. Mm-hmm. Ray Chu, um, who is a very accomplished uh, musical director. He's now the musical director for Dancing with the Stars. He was a musical director for American Idol. He was on a show briefly called The Singing Bee. He was the Apollo musical director. He did both Miss America and Miss Universe. He was the musical director there. Yeah, I mean, the guy, he he's was, done everything. Yeah. Oh, Ray's done everything. And we were, when I, when I got on the gig, 
uh, I, it was just a sub for Buddy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Buddy was doing whatever he was doing at the time, which is probably 20 different things. But I came in. They said, you sing. I said, yes. They put a mic up in front of my face. It was only a four-piece unit. Uh, it was two, two uh, keys, bass, drums. And, and then the guy who opened the show, which is Joe Gray. And um, what happened is they liked the fact that I could read mm-hmm. and that, that I knew a lot of songs and I could sing and, keep, and hold a note. And Ray was like, okay. So as far as the formula that I'm looking for, that's what I want here. And what I'll do is I'll talk to Buddy about it because Buddy's not missing gigs. He's 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 good. Right, right. And you know, and I'll just let them let them know that you know. That, and basically, it wasn't. It was a combination of Ray and production. To be honest with you, production was like, no, that's what the sound that we need for what we have here. Mm-hmm and see if he's available. And that ended up turning into a 17-year gig. It's crazy. Unfreaking believable. What's the it most like, amazing experience you had at the Apollo? Um, God, so oh, I'm sure. Um, it's probably a tough uh, question. Well, one of the greatest things was to do amateur night, which was the Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. That, that was, that was, a, that was a, a staple in the in, uh, in New York City right. to come to Amateur Night on Wednesday nights. Uh, Ralph Cooper Sr. started it, who was a band leader, a great big band leader. Um, and then his son took over Ralph Cooper Jr. But um, when I got there, um, some of the, one of the greatest things that happened is there was this kid that came on stage named Michael from Virginia. And he was, he was, he was incredible. And we were playing behind him and oh, man, this dude is really good. And he loved the way I played, and I loved the way he played. And then um, some years went by, and I get a call from my man Gary Harris, the late Gary Harris, who's an A and R over at EMI Records. Mm-hmm. And he called me up and said, "Yo, come to the office. I got to play something for you." And I go to his office, and he puts on this tape, and it's killer. Whoever this person, I'm like, "Yo, who is this dude?" <laughs> Like producing his music, he said his name is Michael, and he's from Virginia. And I'm like, this doesn't ring a bell. Next thing I know, <clears throat> Bob Power calls me, uh, the producer Bob mm-hmm. Power and engineer Bob Power says, "I'm working on this record for this kid named D'Angelo. Mm. Can you come down and do the record?" And I said, "Anything for you, Bob. You know that. Right. I don't care what it right. is." Lo and behold, Michael is D'Angelo. Is man. And that's how we forged that relationship, and I ended up being in the band huh. with him. Yeah, yeah, I love yeah, Daniel. So, he's one of my favorite artists. <laughs> so I saw the beginning. And what year was that? Oh, that was oh, I couldn't even tell you. That was like the early, late nineties, early two thousands, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah, somewhere around there. He was he was a kid, right? He was a kid, kid. Yeah. That's crazy, but that that's one of the one of the best Apollo stories. Other than folks just walking in off the street, right, and just coming on stage and just you know wanting to jam with the band and doing something, right, right, right. You know, always in a great situation. Was that before? Was that before or after uh, Brown Sugar came out? Oh, that was way before Brown. You you mean when I met him? Yeah, or like when you? I'm I'm, like when you were working with some of these tracks with him. Oh, it was the Brown Sugar. Oh, nice. 
Nice. Yeah, I, I'm I'm playing on that record. Yeah, such. A great but again, yeah, and and he tells a story about um my departure in an interview with um with a Georgia. Oh, damn, I can't. He's a great interviewer. I think I remember his name in a second. But he did something at Brooklyn County Museum Music, and it was just him on stage. Um, and they were uh, just talking about music, and he brought my name up, and he was very upset that I left. You know, I, I left the band because uh, I, I had work. But, but the truth of the matter is, I left the band because I hated his manager. <laughs> Yeah. Manager will uh, will screw a lot of things up. Yeah, I couldn't stand his manager. I hated him with a passion. Really? Yeah, he. I think. I think. You know. I. I felt he got away from him finally. Mm -hmm. He was good for the moment, but I. You know. It, it, I just couldn't deal with it. I couldn't deal with the whole. You know. So anyway. And that goes to show you that that your that your uh, your attitude matters. You know, like. It doesn't matter how great of a drummer you are or how great of a manager you are or whatever. If you're an asshole, people don't want to work with you. Plain and simple. Yeah. You know, uh, and you and I both know some killer drummers that don't work because of their attitude yep. or because they can't get someplace on time mm -hmm. or they don't know how to read music or blah, 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 or all down the line. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, yep. it's just stuff. Yep. So you had mentioned uh, Alan Schwartzberg. I looked him up. So he was in Mountain and he was on Peter Gabriel's first on Peter Gabriel's first solo record. And then uh, he worked with John Lennon, Diana Ross, James Brown, Hendrix, Alex Cooper, uh, Kiss, Frank Sinatra, Rod Stewart, Robert Palmer. And like, that's about 10% of the list that is listed here. Yes. So my man so is working with everyone. <laughs> those are the names that I would see on everything. Right. Those four names. I'm like, Gad, Purdy, uh, Williams, and Schwartz. Right. And I like, I kind of know who these guys are. So um, th that's how I, 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 the way how I actually met Buddy, there was a guy in my neighborhood where I used to live and he was walking towards me and he had on a Zildjian shirt. So obviously I had to ask. Right. I said, uh, do you play drums? He said, no, I'm the drum tech for Buddy Williams. I said, what? <laughs> for who? He said, I I've been the drum tech for Buddy Williams. And, and, Right at that moment, him and I became instant friends. He introduced me to Buddy. Nice. And Buddy buys cookies for me on the road. I like it. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Buddy's a, a gem of a person, and he's someone that most drummers should really know mm -hmm. because he's he is a history book of great information and a and a and and a killer on drums. Some just go back and listen to some of the stuff he's done. Yeah. That's how I met Buddy. Yeah, Williams. I will. Uh, talk to me about working with Sheik and Nile Rogers. How did that? How did that whole thing come about? And it seems, and to me, like I feel like Sheik has had sort of a a resurgence in you know in the last like decade or so. Maybe not even eh, probably maybe the last decade. Um, that it's like that it's almost like people are like, yo, have you ever heard of this band? And you're like, what? What are you talking? <laughs> what are you talking about? They've been around forever. You know. Okay, so, so um. I love Sheik from the door. Mm -hmm. The first time I heard Sheik, I used to be an avid uh, roller skater. Mm -hmm. And I was in a roller skating ring and this song came on and went, oh, freak out. And the people went crazy. <laughs> like the the, the, the the ring floor was packed. So I asked someone, I said, I said, who's this group? He said, what's, what's in this song? He said, yo, that's, that's called Freak Out. 
and the group was called Sheik. So the truth is, it wasn't called Freak Out, it was called La Freak. Right. But people were like dancing, and I'm like, yo, this, the groove was so like funky, but disco, but disco and funky at the same time. Mm-hmm. So then the more I started to listen to the stuff that they were doing, I'm like, hey, yo, they put like a real like sophistication on on whatever disco is. And then they're producing other people. I'm like, yo, these dudes, this dude now, and, and, and they're ridiculous, like Bernard Edwards. What? <laughs> and I became, um, years later, I, I did a, a, a tribute, and um, the lead singer from Chic was there with her fine self. I fell in love with her that day. Yeah. But I, I was, I was, yeah, I did. I just, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to even say her name because I just started crying. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I was just such a, a chic fan, so I learned all of the music. And Tony, what was special about Tony is Tony always had a balls to the wall kind of approach to playing. Mm. You know, he just he just was solid. You know, kind of brash. You know, and you know he pushed a little bit. He always kept the energy going. And I really liked Tony's playing. And then when he started playing with Power Station, I'm like, yo, this this drummer Tony's. I like right. him. So. Fast forward, that Tony had, uh, had passed away, and they were auditioning drummers. And I, and they put out this thing across the city, and I, I was trying to get in, but Omar Hakim ended up getting the gig because he was doing a lot of session work for Nile and um and Bernard. So it was kind of like a natural fit. So all right, didn't get it, but I'm still like I, I wanted I want them to hear me at some right. point. So I got called to do a uh, a charity event at the Marriott Hotel and the honoree was Nile Rogers. So I'm like, okay, Nile's gonna be in the building. I'm, go- I'm gonna play my face right. off so he can hear me. Now I'm playing with Rachel and the crew at the Apollo Theater, but I still want Nile to hear me just in right. case, who knows? I play, Nile doesn't pay me any attention <laughs> at all. It's not like, it's like I'm not even right. there. I felt like the, the jilted lover like, I don't believe he didn't even look at me. You know? <laughs> so, so you know I did those roles for uh, him. <laughs> I did those, that, that was for you, Niall. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> so um a little while goes by. I'm at my daughter's school at a at an event and my phone rings and it's Nathaniel Townsend, who was the drummer at the time mm-hmm. for Nile and Sheep. And so I excuse myself and I go out in the hall, I take the call real quick, and he says, Yo. Um, are you free on these days? Because I'm, I'm I'm working with Joe Zawinul and and I have some gigs. I said, "Who's the with?" He says, "Nile Rogers and Sheik." So even if I was gigging, I was going to get a yeah. sub for my gigs. So I could do Nile Rogers and Sheik. So I took the gig. They sent me the material. Um, I went down to SIR. Nile came in at the time. The bass player was Barry Johnson. Um, we played a little bit of the medley. Mm-hmm. And then he left, and he we didn't finish the medley. I thought I did something wrong. He said, "No, you sound great. I'll see you in Switzerland." Just like nice. that, it was done. So I go. He he hears me after the show. Uh, Silver Logan Sharp, the singer at the time, comes over to me and says, "Now really likes how you sound, and he wants to know if you'd like the gig." And the first words out of my mouth, of course, was, "Isn't this Nathaniel's gig?" And she said, "No, not exactly." 
he was just holding it down until now found someone that he liked. Gotcha. So that's how I ended up getting the gig with our writers. And, huh. and I have to tell you, um, it was a very tough departure from the Apollo. Very tough. I didn't, I didn't want to leave, but I think the timing had to, it was the right time to kind of move on and do some right. other things. And I really wanted to work with mm. Nile on every level. And it's worked out to be a yeah. great thing. And, and, and you have to think like, excuse me, with, with the Apollo, you have uh, like, there's consistency there. It's a steady gig. It's not based on being on the road and not being on the road, you know, and, and there's gaps in, in income and things like that. Like, it's gotta be tough to, to leave that situation. Right. I mean, like you're comfortable, you're making good money. Like everything's cool. Uh, how'd you make the decision? You just knew it was time. I just knew it was time. Yeah. Um, I knew it was time. They, they, um, there was some changes that had went on um, staffing wise that just, I, I just thought it was, this is time yeah. to go. It's time yeah. to go. So, so the decision, you know, came again, it was tough uh, for me, you know, but I'm, I'm at the end of the day, I'm glad yeah. I did it. I'm glad I, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I want to talk about how, you tend to, you have all these other things that are going on and how you manage all those things. You have a cookie business, you have a restaurant, you are touring, you know, you work with Nile all the time with Cheek, uh, obviously not touring right this second, but, but you, you were doing that and doing all these other things. You teach master classes. How is it, how is it that you're able to do all these things? Because we always hear everyone say, Oh, I don't have enough time to do this thing, or I don't have enough time to do that. But you, you do have enough time if you, if you structure your day and your week and your month properly, how do you, how do you structure the things that you're working on to make sure that you can accomplish all the things that you set out to do? Um, it's good to have a team. It's good to have people around you. And I have a, I have a, a great family. My sister Yvonne is constant. She's always in my corner. My sister, um, she, she's, she's a retired principal. Mm -hmm. Very good at administrative work. Um, she stepped up with the restaurant in a big way. She's, she's basically HR right, here. Right. <laughs> so that, that helped out. But before that, the, I have to say that the woman that I'm with, um, and I, you know, she always tells me don't talk about it, but this would be the first time that I'm talking about it. She is the rock in my family. She's without her. I couldn't do anything. She, she, we raised a child together. Mm -hmm. She's 18 now. Um, she's always been supportive on every single level. When I go out on the road, she's supportive. Running the cookie business, she took over. Running the restaurant, she took over. Um, it's always been her, you know, for the last um, almost 20 years or so uh, that I can explore these amazing mm -hmm. things. So to sit here and say that I've done it all by myself, no. If, if none of it would happen, none of it would be going on without right. her. None of it. Not any of it. So I'm I'm a lucky guy. And I, I tell her that. My sister tells me mm -hmm. that. You know, that I'm a very lucky guy to have her. And I don't take that for granted for one right. second. You know, have a, you know, so that's how I get it done is – is structuring things with her because she's my partner in everything. She's my partner in the restaurant. 
She's my partner with the cookie company. She's my, you know, partner in life. And, you know, like all relationships, you have your ups and downs. You know, um, there was a point that we almost didn't, I thought we wasn't going to make it. But we we realized that we are better with each other than without each other. And, you know, and it, it really changed how we see everything. So for me to do all that you see, Honey, I gotta go do this, that, and that. Okay, I got it. I gotta do it. Okay, mm-hmm. go ahead. It's okay. No problem. That that's the kind of support that that anyone I would wish for could sure. Have. And I think it's important to note that, like you said, it's you know, there's up and downs. It's like a roller coaster. But it, but the most important thing is that, like all of these things take work. And if you're not willing to work with the whether it be your spouse or whether it be your business or whether it be your drumming or whatever it is. If you don't put in the work, it's going to disappear. It's going to be out of your life. Whether you know whether it's relationships that are that get a little rocky, or you're you need to work on your playing, or whatever it is. The bottom line is you got to work for these things if you want them. Yeah, um, all of it. I mean, you you already know. I, you know, I tell in my master classes, I try to leave people with very important messages at the end. It's like whatever you see me or anyone else doing is only a practice away from you doing the same thing mm-hmm. and getting out of your own way. You have to believe that it's doable. Don't be your own obstacle. You know, more times than most, I find that people say, well, how do you do this and how do you do that and all these things? It's only because I've chosen to want to do it and I put in the time to do it. You know, I got out of my own way a long time ago. I eliminated the word can't from my vocabulary when I was a teenager mm-hmm. and it, you know when you listen to who's a big inspiration to me believe it or not that's not a drummer is will smith me too if you if you listen to will smith talk and he's younger mm-hmm. than me i actually met him when i was i was a and r manager for jive records and uh, i had the pleasure of meeting him and i'm, I'm actually singing background on, on one of his songs called summer nice. I didn't know um yeah yeah you know oh, the song? of course i know the song yeah, yeah, I played. I played every there, June twenty first. Yeah. I'm like summer's not <laughs> official until that song. I'm from look. I mean, I got Philadelphia. I'm from Philadelphia. You from Philly? Yeah, all day, I grew yeah. up listening to so, Will Smith and you know DJ Jazzy Jeff and the so Fresh I'm, Prince and I'm, all that. So I'm a I'm a I'm a huge. I mean, not just like a a fan of 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 his work and his body of work, but I'm a fan of his. Mm-hmm. Me too. Like I I. I watch what he does because he, he speaks the truth and he stands yeah. behind it, yep. you know, and, and, I, and that has been very in, in, important. He's a big influence on, on that word, can't, get it out yeah. of your life, you know, remove it and things will, mm-hmm. will happen. There's a YouTube video, which I'm sure that you've seen, but it's like a montage of him uh, going through all these like interviews and things like that. And, and, him, and they piece it all together. And he talks about his dad, where his dad taught him to build this wall. And then there was these, and there's all these other things. I listened to that video every day for a year when I was building my restaurant, actually, and just to like, right. cause you get into these, we all get into these sort of like self doubt, self defeating, you know, mind, mind frames once in a while. And you got to get rid of that stuff because it's not doing you any favors. Right. How do you how do you right. get out so, of it, or how did you get out of it when you were a teenager? Um, the word can't. Well, I was when I was in drum corps. I had some instructors early on that were were really good at inspiring 
the 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 two big instructors, drum instructors from drum corps, uh, was a guy named Ricky Mangum. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ricky Mangum, amazing uh, drummer. Uh, his, he's got hands to this day that are amazing. And the other one is a guy named Bobby Craig. And Bobby Craig to me, and he's he was like Yoda. He, you know, he would could make anyone believe that they could do anything. Right. He just instilled this thing in you that you just would go, yo, I can do this because he just said you can do it. So I came to him one day and I said, I wanted, uh, I, I think I want to do some individual competitions for drum corps. And he said, okay, work on it. Uh, write your piece. I'll help you refine it. We'll time it. And then I'll uh, enroll you in some, some of the uh, mm-hmm. contests. Yeah. Just like that. So I did it. He, the way he expressed just percussion and drumming and hands and eyes and movement was so poetic. It was like Alvin Ailey with sticks. It was so beautiful to just listen to him. And 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 Ricky was more hands-on, let's do this and let's have mm-hmm. fun at it. So I got a combination of the both, but both of them were like, no, you can do anything. And at that point, at 17, 18, I just adopted that that thinking. Like, I, you mean anything. Right. And it's the truth. Anything you can do if you just put your... Right, right, right. I, th- I, I, think, I think going back to that Cadillac syndrome thing, sometimes people are so hell-bent on pleasing someone else that they spend a lot of time uh, not trying to please themselves. Yeah. And that can be at a detriment. Yep. You know, I really, I really believe that. It's like you gotta, if you decide that you want to be a doctor, and someone tells you, no, you need to go for that, that 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 job where you take that test and go. You know, you need that. No, why don't you just keep going to school and be a doctor because that's what you want to do? Because success is not how much money you make; it's in finishing the thought. And I live by that. Mm-hmm. Success is not how much money you make; it's in finishing the thought. Finish the thought. If it's your passion, finish the thought. If you play, if you're if you're gigging and you're practicing, and you go out there and you're playing gigs at weddings. You're now successful because someone is paying you for this thing that you do. It's not how much money you make; it's finishing the thought. You're now gigging. Right. That's what that was the goal. You wanted to gig, go yep. gig. That's such an interesting thing. Where I success is like success is a really murky word. And, and it's a, it's a tough thing. Cause I hate, I hate saying the word made it right. Like I made it, which I, I'm not a big fan of, but success. I think we always look at what other people's definition of success is instead of our own definition of success. And that, and you get into this, this syndrome of, of chasing everybody else's dreams or chasing every, what everyone else thinks is going to make you happy. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. Do do the thing that makes you happy. No. And sure, you got to be practical about it, right? You got to make money. You got to take care of your family. You got to do those things. But but you should also be doing the things that make you happy every day instead of just doing the things that is going to get you all the shit, make other people you, impressed. I, I'm going I'm going to say something that's kind of dangerous, but I actually have given some some people this advice. Um, there's no plan B. There's no plan B because plan B gets in the way of plan yep. A. If you if you stick to your plan A, you know that there's you have to do everything you can for that plan A. Yep. 
that's important. I was mentoring a young man, um, him and his brother, um, and there's something. I was mentoring him at the Apollo, same thing, my friend Vincent Henry, who is my brother for life. He's, Vincent Henry is one of the most incredible musicians I've ever worked with in my entire existence. Um, me and him met and him playing in a band in the bowling alley, and we have been friends nice. forever. So I've known him for over 40 years. But he brought them because he was teaching at a school, and the young man, Josh, had all these aspirations. He, was, he wanted to be an entrepreneur, all these things. And his brother was this really cute guy who was in the girls. And I, I, I had them pegged. I said, I said, dude, if you keep up these entrepreneurial aspirations, you're going to be great. But I'm worried about your brother because I think he's going to end up with a, with a, like a, a boatload of kids because <laughs> he, he's cute and he right. knows it. And we would laugh about it. And just like I called it, just like I called it, he started popping out kids. And this one went off to college. Next thing I know, I'm sitting at home watching the Ellen DeGeneres show, and who's sitting there? But Josh. Crazy. And he was he he actually paid part of his tuition by coming back from Penn State every weekend and tap dancing on the train. And someone put up a YouTube, and Ellen got wind of it, brought him on the show, made him uh, correspondent for some of her events, mm-hmm. gave him a check. The next time I spoke to him, oh after the Ellen show, he was calling me from China where he was teaching. But this is what he said while he was sitting on the Ellen show. Ellen asked him, what, 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 how do you, what's your drive? He said, what is your inspiration? He said, there's no plan B. Almost full on the floor. Almost, I, I, I know it brought a tear to my eye, but I was like, he was yeah. listening. He was listening. Because when you, when you, Go after that passion and you don't put anything in the way of it. It doesn't, it won't diminish that other door. Like that, because there's no right. door. There's one right. door. You know, if you go, well, I got a door over here. Yeah, I understand that's how parents want you to think. And I get it. I totally get it. But when I set out to be a drummer, I'm like, either I'm going to pass or I'm going right. to fail. Yep. That's how it's going to yep. be. Yep. And so that's what kept. The, the, the drive going that's amazing well ralph man this there are yes, so sir. many things that i mean i could sit here all day and, and and chat with you i feel like you and i uh have a lot of the same outlooks on on life and music and success and all sorts of things we could trade war stories about the restaurant business and all that as well uh, <laughs> but i want to make sure that you can get back yeah, to, right. to business um you might be my brother from I another so. mother, man. I think so. You were talking about roller skating, and I was like, I was into roller skating, too. Oh, I used to love yeah. roller skating. I was like, man, I had, Me and my I had boy some old was... SP-204s and some... Uh... Me and my boy Patrice, we uh we used to skate. His Artie was the older brother who's the, 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 the drummer, great drummer. But me and Patrice became really close, and we would go roller skating together. So now he's got, he's got, like, two sets of kids. He's got grown kids and he has little kids actually his daughter works for nice. me his young one of his young kids but we laugh all the time we go yeah man i'll pick you up next week i'm a fan i'm like i will die out there bro so where two things um one where's the best place for people to follow along everything that you got going on but two 
where can they, we didn't even talk about that you own a cookie company too so where can people find the cookies and where is your restaurant located i don't get the i don't get to uh the bronx too often but next time i'm there i'm coming to get some soul food believe that uh where can people find the cookies and where can people find your restaurant okay uh easy if you go to uh uh for the cookies is eat soul snacks.com eat soul snacks.com um a lot of fans of the cookies from um steve harvey to bet Miller, the whoopi goldberg to robin roberts uh have ordered the product and eaten the product uh monique d'angelo you know and you know miss ruth from apartment 4a down the block right. <laughs> all of them like you know and we <laughs> And we feature the cookies here in the restaurant, the Soul Snacks Cafe dot com. Awesome. Um, so um, again, the, the the end game for me, and I I don't like I don't like bucket list. I can't stand it. I don't know why I don't like mm. that. Is to um, start a drum club back in New York City again. Because I know how many lives drum corps saved with, with our young kids. I was one of them. Right. You know, I mean, drum corps helped a whole lot with my discipline and my, my, my forward motion. And I wanted to create that, that platform for young kids, but drum corps changed so much. It's such an expensive, um, uh, activity right. that, you know, I, I, I would have to get involved with, with, uh, a lot of things. And that's why I opened the cookie company and that's why I opened the restaurant so I can, gain those relationships make that money and be able to create this platform that's for kids. awesome man because i know how great it and drum corps is truly a life-changing yeah. experience that's amazing and i yeah. the best part is i was going to wish you luck but i'm like you don't need like you'll just you'll just do it so well i'm i'm working on it i got i got i got uh i got some ideas and you know i, I put together some things that are helping move that nice. along you know, I'm also working now with a with um, a charity. Uh, it's called Town Clock. Town Clock is a charity for uh, battered women and their kids to find them permanent housing. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, because of my situation with my sister, it's very near and dear to my heart to to help help with that. So I'm working with the charity now, and um, I also work with an organization that that, that deals with bullying. So yeah, if if you want something done, you got to go out there and do it. And yeah, talk about for sure. It. And the yeah. thing that you had mentioned, uh, we were talking off air about how your sister was in an abusive relationship. Uh, her first marriage was an abusive relationship, and that really affected you. So mm -hmm. that's when you mentioned this uh, town clock. That's when you had mentioned because of your sister. But I just wanted to let the audience know that was the that was sort of the the driving force for you to have. Uh, to you know, to want to be involved in these types of things because of what you saw when you were a child. Yeah, and also if so, just as a segue, and thank you for saying that. Um, if you order cookies at eatsoulsnacks.com, this is how I know twenty percent of what you uh, of your order will go to the charity. If you buy the cookies, um, I give twenty percent to Town Clock. By all you have to do is put in uh, my name in the middle. So if your name is John Doe, put in John Ralph Doe, and I know that 20% of your order, now I will pay. To That's awesome. 
uh, as a do- as a donation. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And I'm going to, I'll link up to everything in the show notes too, so people can find it. Where's the best place to follow you? Follow, go on your website or on Instagram or? You can, you can, you can go to Instagram. You can go to Ralph Roll and, uh, with my Instagram and Twitter, uh, Facebook, Ralph Roll uh, drums. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on all the social. You can find me. If you, if you Google you'll Ralph find Roll, you. you'll find yeah, me. You're easy to track down. Yeah. I, yeah, I have uh, I have someone um, who's been working with me. I just want to shout her out. Her name is Ann mm-hmm. McCoy. Ann McCoy has been my manager for the for the past few years, and she's she's brought up my value demonstrably. Uh, I'm really glad to know her. Thank you. I'm glad to know her, and I'm glad to know that she is um, someone who has uh, been in my corner as my manager. Yeah. She she lined us uh, up too, so that's been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Anne is Anne is dope. I, I've been trying to, you know, I've been trying to keep it to myself, but I've been trying to pawn <laughs> her off because I think, I think everybody needs an Anne McCoy, and she's really, really good at yeah. what she does. So I'm thankful. Well, thank you, Anne, as well. And Ralph, I appreciate yeah. you taking the time to chat with me and uh, continued success in everything that you're doing. And if there's ever anything that I can do for you, don't hesitate to reach out. I really appreciate appreciate you and brother. Listen. Keep my number. Call me anytime. Come hang out in New York. You know, just, just you know, let, let me know. Yeah. Good, good deal. Thank, Thank you. you. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. So I have a question. Before uh, you all right. How are you dealing with this COVID? Thing? Um, it's been it's been interesting. Uh, two things. One, like I'm from Philadelphia. My family's on the East Coast. My wife's family is on the East Coast. So we haven't been back to to see anyone since January, and we had uh, an unfortunate. My father in law passed away in January, so that's the last time we saw everyone. So we were like, we want it'd be nice to go back and see family in a better uh, better scenario. So we're missing family, we're missing friends. All in all, though, um, we're we're okay. Like we live in California, so it's all like we've been able to get out a lot and and get some fresh air yeah, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Uh, I got a bunch of stuff going on with, with a couple of businesses of mine that I've been really able to, to focus. And I got involved in some real estate stuff, which I wouldn't have done had it been, had it not been for COVID. Um, so all in all, it's been good, you know, it's, and, you know, honestly with, with drummers resource, it's been really good for interviews because no one's on the road. So, and I hate to say like, Oh, it's been great because it hasn't been good for anyone. And the fact that everyone's home is bad, but for interviews, I, email people and i'm like what day is good for you and they're like monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday or saturday or sunday what do you which day do you want you know <laughs> what day yeah. you got, so right? it was rough it was rough the first couple months uh with my other in- with my other business because it's we work with music entertainment and sports clients and all of that got mm-hmm. turned off in a day um oh. so it was okay it was rough for a few months but uh it's getting it's better now it's good now how about yeah. you yeah. 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 Uh, it's, it's, you know, trying to run a restaurant, uh, in this very trying times and we just opened right. has been the craziest roller coaster I've ever yeah. encountered in the history of yeah. roller coasters. I get it, man. Like so, I was telling you before, my family's in the business. My bro- I talk to my brother every day about it. Like we have a 6,400 square foot spot, uh, with uh, entertainment or uh, uh, like banquets and, and event center and all that, which we obviously can't do. Our dining room seats, a hundred people can't have people in there. We have a bar that seats 75 can't put anybody in there. And we have like eight tables out front and that's where, that's where they're serving people. So 
where normally we could have 300 people in the building. Now we can have, you know, 20. So it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just, you know, tell them to stay strong. We will. Man. You too. You too, man. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time. I thank really you. appreciate you. I appreciate you. you. I hope I hope to hang yeah. in person thank soon. You, Dude, stay I in will. touch. Seriously. I will. All right. All right. Thanks, All right, bro. There you have it, the one and only Ralph Roll. You can find the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 583. Also, I link up to his cookies, his restaurant, his website, and also the video that we talk about, or I talk about the Will Smith video that I've referenced before. I've put it out there on some other things, but if you want to check that out, just go to the show notes, drummersresource.com forward slash 583. And other than that, that's all I got for you. So thanks so much for listening and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com. Fun. I have a lot of fun doing that. So that is how I play a disco groove with Nile Rodgers and Sheik.